This episode of the DGMG podcast, that's my podcast, is brought to you by Oribi, O-R-I-B-I, O-R-I-B-I, Oribi. Here's the cool thing about them advertising on this podcast, by the way, just a quick note, it's working. So a bunch of people actually went and used Oribi and signed up and started having success with the product. So they came back and they were like, Dave, can we keep sponsoring your podcast? And I said, yes, it's always great when it works out that way. And Oribi is awesome because they are providing an alternative, finally, an alternative to Google Analytics. Analytics. And it's the alternative that a lot of people have been waiting for. I talked to a lot of marketers and Google Analytics is one of those things that you love it or hate it. And so if you're in that other camp or just looking for something new, you should go and check out Aribi. They have customers like Sony, Audi, Panasonic, and Pizza Hut. And it's great because once you connect Aribi to your website, you can really quickly analyze what's going on and see how people engage, not just with a form on your website, but with everything, CTAs, forms, pop-ups, images, videos, landing pages, and it works across all the domains that you have. And you can even see specifically what is leading to conversions. And marketing is ultimately just a game of let's go do more of what's working. So Aribi can help show you that. And the best part is it happens all automatically, right? You're busy, I'm busy. Using Aribi is like having a marketing analyst on your team working 24 hours a day that can give you what you need on demand. And whether you have a new campaign running, new ad creative, new landing page, there's so many things that we are testing and want to be measuring daily. And it's really easy to do that with Aribi, even if it's something like you just shipped a new pillar piece of content that the team has been working on for months and you want to know how that content is impacting conversion, you can do that. Just log into Aribi. You'll learn how people are interacting with all of your marketing. And in no time, you'll get better at prioritizing what's working. And so you can throw out what's not and double down on the stuff that actually is having an impact. Plus, it's super simple to set up. They've got great customer service and tech support in case you need any help. And if you're like me, I'm sending a million questions in to customer support, but maybe that's just me. You can check them out at aribi.io. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O. And if you do aribi.io slash DGMG, and you sign up through that link, you'll get 20% off any plan or punch in the promo code DGMG. You'll get 20% off any plan Oribi.io, O-R-I-B-I.io. Check them out and say bye-bye to Google Analytics. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, what's up, DGMG Podcast? On this episode, my guest is Ross Simmons. Here we go. Ross is asking me about my golf is dope shirt. So I found this brand called Trap Golf, and they just have a cool, like, they're building a brand that's at the intersection of, like, music, art, hip hop and golf. And, uh, I just, I think it's sweet. And so anyway, I, I bought the shirt and Ross was like, are you going to start, start some golf merch or something? And I said, no, but like, I'm, I'm super into golf right now and I'm trying to get better and I want to document the whole journey. And I'm like, man, this is, you could, you could totally create a whole niche. And, and this is a, a tangent, but like, this is what I think is so cool about today. Like if you're either learning something or let's say you're an expert in it, like, my physical therapist or the person that I'm going to to get golf lessons, if they can create content online, like people just want that. You can build a brand being the expert in something. A hundred percent. It's so, it's interesting. Like I, 
I'm a big fantasy sports guy. I'm obsessed. I am proud that I am probably one of the best in the world at it and nobody knows it, but like I'm really good at fantasy sports, but I won't monetize that world right now because I just am like, I have the domain fantasyfootballbible.com. Like all of these ideas have hit me and it's a mult, like you can make bank off of it, but I don't want to, I don't want to murky up my passion with the, the business side yet. That's a difference, like from you and for for you and me, like coming at this from like a we are marketers perspective. However, like I would say, if I, I do think the cool opportunity though is let let's say you're not marketer Ross, let's say you're like high school math teacher Ross, and and you're amazing at fantasy football and you have an analytical mind for it and you have this website. In that world, I would say, dude, you got to go do that because I think why can't that person have? 200 subscribers a month on Patreon, for example, where you get insider fantasy football tips. I mean, that's a model that ESPN had forever with insider and all Matthew Berry's stuff. And like, if you see a bigger market, can you slice off a piece of that and like have your niche? And it doesn't have to be your full-time job, but like that could be a nice two to three grand a month on top of what you're already doing. And it's in your, you know, where you're passionate about. I think that's super cool. And I think what's interesting with the golf is dope shirt, like they're blending two cultures that clash or have clashed for years. So it's like, all right, hip hop, golf, not common swag, golf, not common. When what's his name, Ricky Fowler started rocking like the flat caps. Like he was one of the first that kind of did it, but it was always like a bougie game. And like, if you can go into the market and bring two cultures that not aren't really familiar, you can unlock something special. What you hit on is like coming at this from a marketing and brand perspective, like the ingredients that you mentioned in trap golf, like that's the stuff that I try to look for as a marketer, not as a consumer, but like, oh, there's a story there. And so like this shirt that I'm wearing is like the quality is okay. Like you and I could drop ship, like we could, we could make this, you and I could make this right now. But the difference is, you know, the website has a story and it has a mission and the mission is about bringing more diversity and equality to golf on top of hip hop culture, on top of nice design, on top of cool swag. And so like, you can build a brand around anything if you're passionate about it and, ha- and have the and have the story. And I think the story, like the story, we've talked about this, but like story drives the strategy of that of that brand. So like even in the trap golf example, their story is, hey, here's who we are, here's what we stand for. That's already laid out guardrails for them, right? From like, a, here's what we can go do. Here's what we should go do from a marketing standpoint. I see it so often. Like, there's even a big shift, and I follow all of them online. But like, there's this whole world of like vegan food with like soul food combined and it's like plant-based like vegan food two completely different worlds but their instagrams are like taking off with like tons of people just following them and subscribing to their content i think there's a lot of value in kind of looking at extremes and then finding a good story bringing them together and then doing something with it and you can do it in b2b too like if you look at we were talking about it over email. Square and Jay Z and Title and Jack Dorsey, like Square acquires Title. And because of that, now Jack Dorsey and the entire empire around that has the ability to leverage Jay Z, his quote, his experience, the artists who are around him. And that makes the Cash App cooler. It makes Square cooler. All of those things can roll out of just like having your finger on the pulse and like just being connected to to culture again. Okay. So Ross, 
Ross is like, has been the best podcast guest today because he sends me an email this morning. He's like, yo, here's five things we should talk about, which is amazing. I thought that Jack Dorsey just bought title so he could just hang out with Jay-Z. Like, I have an excuse to have Jay-Z on your board. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame him. I don't blame him. There is no music strategy. Uh, like, they're probably gonna, like, hey, yeah, we, uh, listen, Jay, we're going to shut all this down. So really, you're just going to be on our board and we're going to hang out. That's it. Pretty much. Which is like a legit boss move. Like, if you can do that, why not? Like, why not acquire someone who you want to hang out with? And like, think about it. Back in the early days, Jack Dorsey, no connection to Jay-Z. He probably listened to a couple of the albums, blah, blah, blah. But different worlds, completely different worlds. These two would walk down the street, see each other. They're probably not going to say hi. Jack might run. And then it's like now they're in the boardroom. They're on yachts together. It's uh, it's crazy. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But yeah. <laughs> the other thing, another thing that you mentioned, and I hadn't, I hadn't seen it until this week. Talk about the Venmo thing. Yeah. So I think this is a strategy that a lot of people have slept on, but essentially Venmo has essentially been giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars to anyone who shares a post that they put up on Instagram. So a few years ago, everyone might remember when there was a company that gave away a bathing suit. Every person who liked the Instagram post would get entered in to win a free bathing suit. Venmo is doing that, but now they're giving away $500. So every time somebody shares a post on their story, they would give that person 500 bucks. So they would just slide in your DM, congratulations, you win, we're giving away $100,000 today. Every single person who does it gets 500 bucks, but you have to have a Venmo account to accept the money. Great user acquisition strategy. Now when you have that $500 in your account, you can't just sit around with 500 bucks. You have to connect your bank. You have to be willing to do a transaction. You might want to send it to someone. You might want to use it as a cash card, whatever that may be. So they're able to use this as an acquisition strategy. And then when people find out how easy it is to use Venmo, what are they going to do? They're going to add more money to their Venmo account. So now they've used that $500 to get users that potentially could be for life. Now, Everyone's on Twitter raving that Venmo is the first ones to do this, but Cash App came out with it back in 2019 with Cash Fridays, I think they were calling it, where you just tweeted them your cash handle or your Cash App handle, whatever it's called, and they would send you 500 bucks, 200 bucks. It would be a surprise amount sent to your to your Cash App. Again, brilliant, brilliant strategy for just doing a giveaway, acquiring users, and then Venmo is essentially stealing the Cash App playbook, but hey, great artists don't copy, they steal. So For what it's worth, Venmo is a $900 million revenue company. This is a hundred grand is 0.01. I'm not a math guy, but I did it. 0.01% of... Uh, so hey, that's not even a, round, not even a rounding error, a hundred grand. I, I love it. It is brilliant. This is the stuff though. It's like, I do feel like marketing is easy at companies like Venmo. <laughs> Yeah, you're giving away money. Oh, like what should we do? Give away a hundred grand. Like, I actually think that most of the people who are listening to this now, I mean, we're trying we're gonna talk about other things eventually, but like I think B2B is often so much harder because you can't you can't just give away money. You can't give away money or it's not as or, or you could, you could give away money, but it's not those are not people who are gonna buy your product. It's also called a bribe. It's yeah, you may also go to jail. <laughs> you could go to jail. I just think this is something that like people don't discuss enough, which is like, I know you're the same way. Like I'm all about marketing. I'm all the raw, like rah, rah marketing guy. 
But damn if I didn't say that marketing is easier at Venmo, is easier at Zoom, is easy, you know, like at the end of the day, you have to think about it's your job to market it, but the product that that is that is your thing that that you are delivering. And so, I would like to think that I could do some pretty damn good mar- marketing if they were like, "Hey, Dave, you have the Air Max account at Nike for the next twelve months, and here's the budget." You know, but you could take me and say, "Hey, Dave, you have the cybersecurity something or other for the next twelve months, and and it's going to be different." So it's challenging. Right. It's way more complex. Like you can't just give away the software because it's more disruptive than giving somebody $500. How do you as a business, like I was just thinking about this, like you, you run an interesting business as, as an agency owner, you have to be or have a team that can get smart in different industries and areas. Like how do you, how do you get people up, up on those, on those industries? Cause obviously you can't have all the expertise in house. You need to know, but you need to know enough to be able to write. Yeah, 100%. So we intentionally invest in these things called learning days where we give the team full days, of course paid, where no meetings, nothing to do, just go learn things and then come back to the team and share it, present it, express things that you've learned. They can be about anything from copywriting to case studies that you've seen. You can take a course, come back to the team and share that. So we really try to foster a culture of learning and then sharing that those lessons with the team. And then we have like the traditional like channels on Slack where everyone's sharing articles and essays that they find. We also have an unlimited Amazon book budget so everyone can get whatever book they want and read it as long as they come back and share what they learned from it. So we just try to foster a learning culture and a a culture that just invests in the people to learn. And uh, yeah, we just are obsessed with learning new things and sharing it. That's really the key that we've found. But staying on top of like, I think it's a, a bit of lateral thinking where it's like you look at inspiration from some of these funner industries and spaces. And then you think, okay, how can I apply this to my space? So, all right, Memo is giving away $100,000 via a story shared on their Instagram. How can we apply that to our clients who are typically B2B? Or in your case, like how would you apply this to your world? Like what would you, have you done, you've done giveaways. I've done, I've done giveaways. Yeah. In some capacity. Yeah. Have you found them to be successful? What have you found to work well and not work well? I think it first comes on like an agreement. You have to first come on an agreement of what what success is because if we're saying we need to get, like let's just use B2B context, we need to get 10 new customers this month. The strategy probably isn't going to be a giveaway because who you might, a giveaway is more of a top of the funnel activity. Now, there might be more bottom of the funnel things you could do, but I just think typically if you're going to do a giveaway, the goals are more about like awareness, growing, building your audience, word of mouth. And so like if you can first come to agreement like, hey, we're going to do, we just want more people talking about Privy. Okay, cool. So that's the goal. How are we going to do it? We're going to run this giveaway campaign. We want to add 2,500 new names to our database and we want to get... 100 people talking about it on Twitter. Now, those are not hardcore ROI metrics. Those are like, licked our finger, made it up. We want to we make a splash. This is not distracting from any other campaigns that we're running. We're not going to miss the number this month because we did the giveaway instead. It's all additive. But we'd think of it as a, we'd think of it as like a, a, a brand play. And so I, I love it from a, like, get people talking about you. And by the way, like Venmo is going to see now weeks and weeks of, of organic search lift from from this, and so I, I think of it more like more like that perspective. But I do think that a lot of people in B two B 
we like to go right to how is this an opportunity to drive revenue? And I love that more marketers are aligned around revenue, but you have to think about like where everything fits in the in the puzzle. And I wouldn't do a giveaway if the goal was to get five, 10 new customers. I think that's the key. Like having a long-term view in B2B is tough, right? Like you are judged quarterly if you're publicly traded. Like you are up against quarterly meetings with your C-suite if you're CMO. And if the CEO is a very much not long-term thinking, you can run into some challenges around like brand. Like giveaway is a, probably a, a very brand play. And in B2B, you could think about, okay, if I gave away iPads, everyone's going to apply. My mom's going to submit whatever it is that I'm asking. My aunts are going to submit. My nieces are going to submit. If I give away an iPad, anybody's going to try to get involved, but they're now going to know what my brand represents and who my brand is. So long-term, it could be a play. Like if I gave the things away and I was a brand that wanted to have a consumer-focused brand, like a Salesforce and those kinds of companies, like it could make sense. But for some of these orgs that are just like, I'm laser-focused on my niche, on my industry, they're giving away things like conference tickets. And that can be a good win. But you also have to think about the audience. Like who I think it's about an like to me, a giveaway, marketing is about making a great, a good offer, right? And a giveaway is one type of offer. And so even if let's say your enterprise, maybe you want to do the iPad thing, but you don't want my mom to fill it out and, and get it, then you say, We're gonna do a giveaway to our 10 most active customers this summer. Right. And so like you're just thinking about it's going to be used as as, as a different as a different place in the funnel. The way that I think about any of this kind of like one off random fun campaigns is like I like to just look at the marketing calendar for the month, for the quarter, and say, like, what what are all the things like let's just right now erase everything. Let's Ross, let's get on the whiteboard and let's just map out all the things that we know we have coming. And like a lot of companies, you have this internal knowledge. So it's like, okay, in June we have that user conference. July, we have that big product launch that we're doing. And August, we don't really have anything. Okay. All right. So I'm starting to think about like, well, maybe we should do something in August. Well, what what should we do in August? August is kind of a weird month. It's school vacation. Like people, okay, huh, should we try a giveaway that month or a referral campaign that month? I think this is how I come up with those ideas. It's not like, it's not in some perfect plan where you, you just have to think about like, what are one or two things you can be adding a week, a month, a quarter that are not as measurable that that are going to do the you know that and by the way the cost of that not working is also very low because if not a lot of people take you up on it or you send an email and it doesn't go anywhere it's not it doesn't have to be this this big thing i like to like toe the line of we have a bunch of different campaigns like that that we're going to try four out of five of them are not going to work one of them is going to click everyone's going to be tweeting about it and the roi is going to be the incremental lift that we got from that campaign it's going to be a no-brainer. A hundred percent. I think like finding those little things, it goes back to the saying that everyone has heard a million times, but like even just doing the things that don't scale, like you can't probably run a giveaway every single day and scale that successfully, but you can find little wins in that month of August that'll like feel like, all right, this is a bit uncomfortable. It's not a heavy lift, but let's give this a shot. I can remember a while back, we said, let's do a quick test. I'm going to send out an email to anyone who's bought any of our products in the past. And I'm just going to be like, hey, I'm going to do a Zoom just for you. Let's jump on. And a bunch of existing and past customers jumped on this call and we just like chatted for an hour and a half. It's like low risk. Like it's not going to make or break anyone. This is like the cheat code of marketing. Like if you can get digital marketing today in 2021, this is this is why this is like a cheat code. Because 
I hate the people ask on podcasts, hey, you know, what's been your big, biggest marketing failure? And I haven't had many huge catastrophic failures because most of the ideas that work, I've t- already tested them at smaller scale. For example, I have a jobs board for DGMG. It's dgmgjobs.com. That started as a freaking... It was a Google Doc. I literally said, I, I sent out an email and said, hey, you could sponsor this if you want. I got four or five people. They said, yes, I put it in a Google Doc. The Google Doc did 10K in job sales. And I was like, holy crap, 10K from a Google Doc. Okay, now let's take that and go buy a job board product and invest in it. And guess what? It's working. And by the way, it could have also worked. I've done that a million times where I've launched V1. I've sent that email out to customers, no response. Okay, great. Let's move on. Like the whole game in marketing today is like you can get that feedback loop. And it's why, I mean, you you must feel this as the founder and CEO of your of your agency. When you have a following and an audience on social media, this is beyond the vanity metrics of of Ross having the blue check and having, you know, 40, 60 some odd followers. It actually has a meaningful freaking impact on your business because you can test ideas. The CEO like Ross can tweet something out. People can react to that and you can be like, oh shit, this is a great topic. Let's go create a, a new training around this, right? Like you must feel that every day. Every single day. And it's like just embracing experiments on social is the biggest cheat code to understanding the audience that you're trying to go after. Like once you have a sample size that you can experiment with for free by sending out content, it just gives you a unfair advantage. Like I have my pulse on what this audience wants because I can send out a post and see like how they respond to it. And I can do a gut check also on like how well have I done at building like a human personal relationship with them. Like I shared a tweet and it was like, which shirt do you folks think I should rock? <laughs> it lit up the internet. Like people were like actually getting mad at, because I had certain colors on. People were giving me fashion advice, but it showed me like that, okay, I've done a pretty good job at making people feel like, yeah, they know me, we're connected. They have that connection and like human tie. And I think that's the key. That's the part of the game that you can use social for. It's like test your ideas. I flipped over your timeline. By the way, from what I could see, the most popular comment on that post was all, was all three. So everybody, everybody did like it. This is great. They did like it. They did like it. <laughs> Everybody's like, what, what's the contest? There's just three. So you tweeted this high demand, like you, you said, high demand skills for the modern marketer, understanding psychology, video editing, the art of memes, content creation, email, basic code and copywriting, SEO, what else? Okay. That tweet has 95 retweets and 540 likes. If I'm Ross, the way that I'm seeing that is, I bet we could create, we could now go create a course or something that's like the eight skills the modern marketer needs. And by the way, that's great content for his business and going to be a great funnel of people. People who go through that course are going to be great future clients for you because you just taught them how to do something. And, you know, you don't have to have a like Twitter, a Twitter account the size and scale as Ross does. And that's not going to happen to you overnight. He's been putting in work for, for a decade or whatever now. But at a small scale, no one's ever responded to a tweet. Now somebody responded to it. Okay, let's keep doing more of that. It doesn't have to be this like, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be a Kardashian for this to be meaningful. You really don't. And the other thing is like, don't be afraid to test and experiment your ideas on other people's accounts. Like, I don't want to say this because I know it's going to start happening to me more and more and it already has. But like, I respond with that response and that tweet takes off. Okay, great. I've demonstrated that this is a piece of content that works. Another marketer could come in and say, here's my thoughts. This skill, this skill, this skill, this skill. 
how many likes does that response get? If that response gets a ton of engagement and responses to it, that marketer just now did a same similar approach where they have content market fit and have an understanding of, okay, this is also valuable. Maybe I can blend Ross and my content to create an entire YouTube series or whatever off of this. Like, Don't be afraid to get inspiration from that and use my audience or other people's audience to get additional insight on it. I love that. I love that. That is the biggest objection, which is like, well, I don't have an audience there. And so what you're saying is build up your audience by commenting on other people's stuff. Exactly. Because where does the best value come from? Typically, it's in the dialogue. Like my tweet is great. It got a bunch of engagement. It was awesome. But there's a lot of people in the thread and commenting and adding value in the dialogue where like you could get a lot of gems from. And I think that's where more and more people are actually going after they see a viral tweet. They're going into the comments and they're having dialogue. And if you can be there with a valuable insight, you're going to get more followers. You can learn about your own audience, things like that. It just starts to take off. I love that. Also, by the way, it's also easier. It's it's easier to go second because like you already framed this. It's way easier to be the person who's like, actually, Ross, I'd do it this way when you're the one who you already laid out the framework for that. So I love that. Exactly. Like turn on notifications for the people, like turn on notifications for the person who sends out valuable tweets all the time and make sure you're the first one in to jump in with the insightful response. It's gold. Like it can work like wonders. What do you call this? You you get ratioed when someone comments and the, the comment has more likes and, than your initial tweet. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the game, right? Like you try to be better than the original post. That's my entire Reddit strategy. Like I know marketers on B2B don't love Reddit, but like my approach in Reddit is always to find a piece that is trending. So you find a post in Reddit that is trending before it makes the front page, before it's really hot. You jump in with a fire comment. Like you drop all that you have. You put a bunch of energy into it. You have links going back to your content. You throw in a few images, et cetera. You make that response gold. Other Redditors are actually probably going to give you gold, which means like they believe that your content was super valuable. And then that entire post rises, not only because the first post was great, but because your comment was great. And you can unlock amazing returns on there. But yeah, you're right. Well, like anytime I, anytime I look something up on Reddit, for example, I re- you read the initial post, but it's often the responses that give you the best, best advice. And like, you can 100% do that on, on, you know, LinkedIn is a channel that you and I spend a lot of time on. Like on LinkedIn, like I saw Andy Raskin posted something the other day and I wrote like a, just a ridiculous funny comment on, on his thread. And that, that comment had more likes than the initial post. But that, that's a great way to hijack somebody. But I love what you said earlier, which is take the comment. Like if you comment on something and that gets traction, you just found your next thing to post because the majority of your audience hasn't seen that. Exactly. That's that's the game. Like you share your content in a community, in a space where you know that the content is valuable and then you learn from it and you move on from there. And I think that experimentation piece that you were talking about is something that more marketers, especially in B2B, need to think about because experimentation is often viewed as needing to be like a massive media spend. What we're talking about is just time, right? Like you're just experimenting with time. You're writing up a piece, you're pressing publish. Yes, there are expensive experiments. If you think about Heinz, when they launched that purple green ketchup, like we were probably like young then, but if you remember the purple ketchup, like it was all over the TV, like everybody was talking about it, but parents didn't buy it because it was gross looking. Like nobody wants their kid to eat 
purple ketchup. They felt like I'm a bad parent. Like ketchup's supposed to be red, right? Like that was the thought. That was a massive flop because their test subjects were the kids. Kids loved it. Parents thought it was gross. In B2B, for some reason, we think everything needs to be Heinz ketchup. We think everything needs to be an expensive, massive experiment. We have to go all in on running a huge production for a event. We need to go all in on sponsoring and bringing like these major, major names to a Zoom call and all of this stuff. But like oftentimes the small experiments can expand and unlock ridiculous returns. Hey, real quick, I just wanna plug the DGMG community. You can go and join it right from my website, davegerhardt.com. By the way, if you haven't been there, davegerhardt.com, you'll have all the links. That's how you can go join. But DGMG, the community, it's my members only B2B marketing community. In the last year, it's grown to over 2,500 members. And it's incredible because it's like having a sounding board outside of your company, which is so valuable as a marketer. So inside of the group, people are getting feedback. They're getting recommendations on tools. They're getting campaign ideas there. Sometimes people even message me to post anonymous questions about salary and hiring and interviewing. And I'm in the group every single day, like sharing my own stuff too. There's 10 to 12 new posts every day. If you join, you can go all the way back as far as the group goes to see all of the content from the last year. And I don't want to oversell it, but I know that you'll see our from it instantly. It's $10 a month to join. You can cancel at any time. So there's really no risk. And you can kind of, you can always DM me and tell me if you thought it was a fraud. So it's $10 a month to join. There's 2,500 members in there. It's become an incredibly valuable part of my workflow as a marketer. And I know it will for you too. So you can go and sign up at davegerhart.com. There's a link you'll see over there to join the DGMG community. All right, let's get back to this episode. This is making me learn that like my fundamental belief in marketing, I think the one thing that I would do beyond anything else is build an audience first. Because if you have the audience, then on social media is, is a complete cheat code and an advantage. And so I'll give you a real example. Have you seen how I've, I've kind of for like maybe a year or so, I've been tweeting out like this thing, like life's too short to work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing? Yes, I have seen that. Yeah. Okay. So initially, I had that thought and I sent it out. And it got a ton of comments. And I was like, oh, I clearly struck a nerve here. So that was part one. Okay, this is a thing. So like, you have to just think like a marketer, right? So think in sound bites, Steve Jobs, think in headlines. And so I had some long-winded other thing that I've written a lot before about the power of the relationship between CEO and marketing. But it wasn't until I, I pared it all the way down and came up with the line, life's too short for work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing, that it stuck. So then once it's stuck, I would just try to use it all the time. Like... This is to your point about being in the mix and like seeing what's happening. A lot of people on Twitter, they'll say something like, you know, good morning to everyone except whatever, right? And that's like, that's like a Twitter thing. And so then I took it from like life's too short to like good morning except to the CEO who doesn't get marketing. And that, that blew up. <laughs> right. So I kept using it. I kept using it. And now I have an audience of marketers who think that that's maybe that's relevant to them. And so what I did was I had this idea of, huh, I bet there's like a funny video, a funny like viral type video that that would work well for this. Because now I'm just thinking about like, I want to make a, a video that gets shared a lot, which topic would work? Well, instead of going to something that I haven't already proven, I know that this topic, this joke has already landed, right? It's like, you know, Dave Chappelle's going around doing all these smaller places because he's testing out material to figure out what works. So I know that that joke's going to land. Now I just got to like match it up with the right creative. And so 
I actually called Danielle, who does uh, all the videos and stuff that I've done. And I said, hey, I got this idea. You know how I say this life is too short thing. We, we came up with a quick script. Like I paid for the, the video stuff, whatever, like, you know, that, that she needed. We created the video. The video had 30,000 views. We got a ton of traffic to the job board, a ton of people that bought it. And so like, I don't know the definite ROI on that, but to me, that's the power of like, having an audience, paying attention, testing a message, turning it into something. And so like, that's the playbook that I, that I would run for, for any of these companies, which is like, you got to be close to it. You got to be close to your customers. You have to know what they think is funny, what they think is interesting, what makes them laugh, what makes them cry. So then you can go and try to create content around that. There's so many lessons that marketers can take from comedians and their craft that aren't necessarily about being funny but are just about like the practice of understanding your audience through doing. Like if you watch any great comedian and they put together their stand-up series with Netflix, you'll see like they're doing the same set over and over again with slightly different variations. And then in the final Netflix series, they crop out and deliver you with the best of how they delivered in different cities. And for some reason, marketers think like you have to always just like come up with something and it's a brand new idea. No, you can tweak, you can adjust, you can test your message. And then when it hits like yours, you remix that into a format that is going to relevant resonate with your audience. And you can unlock like you did, like marketing gold. Like that's uh, there's a lot of insight in just studying the way that comedians do their craft. If someone let me run Ross's, like if I ran your Twitter handle for a month, all I would do is I, I could run your Twitter handle and grow it without creating new comments. I would just go and do Twitter search and see your your top 10. And you're good at this. I don't do this enough. You you go back and you reach because everything is so like, what's the word? Ephemeral? Yeah. Yeah. We don't ever replay. We don't ever. I love how you always talk about the remix because we don't even, we don't forget the remix. We don't even replay the hits. We don't ever play the hits. Like we don't even replay the hits for some reason. Like folks, if your content goes viral in February, it can go viral again in November. So give it back to people. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. And by the way, like the real science behind this is your organic reach is most of the time this is happening on social media and your organic reach is very, very limited. Like I have a hundred thousand followers on LinkedIn and maybe, maybe a post gets 500 likes, a thousand, like tiny. And so it feels like to you that that message has gone and is out there and everyone's heard it, but it hasn't. Wait, wait a day. And even a bigger lesson than this is like, you need to be doing this at the company level. We're talking about the social media level. Like, what are your talk tracks as a as a company, as a brand? What are the two or three lanes? And how are you going to be like repeating those messages over and over and over? You know who's a master at this? Mark Benioff. Mark Benioff from Salesforce. He's now so Salesforce bought Slack and he's now hijacking the message. Everyone, the new world is remote first. They're re- he's saying we're retooling Salesforce. Slack is going to become the platform that everyone's going to for a remote first world. And I just think he's the best example of a storyteller who's using what's happening in the world, tying their business to it, and then like telling that story to the world. A hundred percent. Benioff is the OG of SaaS and like is one of the first founders that I would say like truly leaned into owning it in the SaaS software space. Benioff, Branson did a great job with it as well. But like when it comes down to it, like there's no question that when you look at the playbook that Benioff laid out, 
it, he did it to with excellence. Like Salesforce number one CRM, that ad, he still shares today. Every other week, he's putting out the same ad. He put it out, I think, in like 2009 or something like that. He tweets it still today as just like a regular reminder to own their dominance in the CR, CRM space. Design is terrible. It's like literally straight out of Excel, like bar, you know, line chart. <laughs> it's the most basic, non-beautiful thing, but it works. It gets the message across. And when you can do that over and over again, it's just, that's the game, right? Like that's the game you want to. And I would say one of the other pieces is like as C- CEO leading a company, we don't talk about internal marketing enough, but like internal marketing is repetition as well. Like you have to fundamentally communicate with your team very often the same things over and over again. And that's okay because there's going to be new employees, there are going to be new colleagues, and it might feel like, oh, I've said this same line, this same script so many times. To you, it's new, it's old. But to the other folks on the other end of hearing it, like it's oftentimes brand new and you just have to be comfortable with repetition. But for some reason, the world always wants new. We always think we need new ideas, new stories. But like sometimes you just have to say the same things over and over again with slightly different variations. If you say something and it sticks and it works, congratulations. You do, That's the goal. Like you want to keep doing it over and over. I think I think that we had a good little rant about social for that reason where if you're a CEO, founder of a modern business today, and you're not using social media to like have your finger on the pulse of your customers, like that's, that's why you're going to, you're going to miss that because you you gotta, you gotta be in there. And I don't know, a lot of people sleep on it still. They do. And I think you can go at it a lot of different ways, but it doesn't always have to be as robust and complex as a lot of a lot of the traditional marketers have made it sound like you don't always need to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars on running these robust surveys and focus groups and analysis. Like the benefit of social is like you can get the people with pixels. Like you can just go in, browse their Twitter, like talk to them, have a conversation, run some ads to get them to answer a questionnaire if you wanted to. But like for the most part, press publish, see how they respond and go from there. And another play that I'm just thinking about, like, could you not, if you didn't have the reach, use your capital, like money, to get in front of someone who does have the reach, who can spread that same story and then use it for yourself? Like, if I'm a brand, I would be thinking about, all right, this Substack, this Twitter influencer, this Instagram person, they've got an audience. I need them to put up this piece of content. I'm going to collaborate with them. I'm going to guide them along the way, ask them to put something out there to the world. Let's see how it does with somebody who already has a large sample size and then use that to inform your own approach. Like that's a play as well. That's a good idea. Like when you put it that way, it made me almost think there's two things you need to be doing. Like you do need to show up every day consistently, even if that doesn't pay off because it's going to compound over time. But it's like while you're doing that, you got to be taking these like big swings and hope that something sticks. And so like today is Shopify's big conference, like Shopify Unite, right? And so if I was like an up and coming brand in the Shopify ecosystem, today would have been the day that I had circled on my calendar as like a day that I'm going to try to like hijack that and make my brand stand out. And so like, how can you draft off of other people's things, which is like, yeah, I'm going to try to go on other people's podcasts. I'm going to ask for intros. But like, if everybody says no to that, you just got to keep putting out 
content. And I think the game is you have to have something to say, like, you know, that makes it a lot easier to, to, to be able to show up and put stuff out on, on Twitter. It's like, why is, why do people react such a way to Elon Musk? It's like, that, it's not like that guy has some agency running his Twitter. He's, he just is a, a loose cannon and, and he says it on, on, on social. Yeah, I think one of the things I was going to ask you, because I saw you put out the question about like the ROI of a PGA Tour event sponsorship. Oh, yeah. Do you have thoughts? Do you have thoughts on that? You're deep. You're deep in the golf world. I appreciate it because I'm my game. I've been playing golf for 10 years. Still not good. I can't figure it out. But But you keep coming back 10 years. I do keep coming back. Like I was out the other day and I'm like, how am I not improving? And I know what the answer is. I only get like five rounds in a year. Can you play golf now in Canada? Now we can. Now it has opened up, so I'm uh, I'm allowed to get on the course. So it's been good. Are you guys able to? Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. You guys have been allowed since the beginning. Yeah. The the land of the free. So <laughs> I think it's that old idea of like I think it's just being top of mind, right? Like if you are a brand, you want to just have top of mind presence. And if you sponsor a golf tournament, if you sponsor something that has your audience. It might not have somebody swipe their credit card tomorrow, but it builds up familiarity with your brand, all of those different things. What are your thoughts? Like, what do you, what's your answer to your own question? Like, how do you think those companies think about ROI when they're sponsoring these PGA tour events? On the top of mind thing, there's something you reminded me of an old lesson, which is like a lesson that I learned at, at Drift with David Cancel is just like the power of being everywhere especially in the early days when you're trying to to catch on. And so it's like anyone talking about B2B marketing, we need to be there. We need to be there. And so we need to be in every article. We need to be at every... Con- okay, we can't get the... Ma- like We're not going to get a feature story. Can we be in the comments? We can't sponsor a trade show booth. Can we hijack the outside? Like So I think that mindset of like, we do get too focused on the hardcore you know, ROI sometimes in marketing where like marketing is a lot easier if you're top of mind, right? Like we said a lot, you think marketing was challenging or easy for Zoom over the last year? Probably pretty easy. They didn't have to go out and they weren't generating a lot of demand. They were capturing a lot of demand. So I think, I think most of the companies know that, but I, I would be shocked. I bet that some of them are straight up CEO. They have the money to do it. It's a prestige thing. We've always done it. We're going to do it. We measure it, kinda, and then I bet there more of the modern companies are probably more hardcore about it and running recall surveys, brand awareness surveys, looking at lift in organic. I just the thing that's just so weird about it to me, and and there's Fortune 100 marketers out there who are going to just. I'm not that. I don't know. I have no experience in that world. I just feel like all these companies do it, but they never make. There's never an offer. Right. That's true. And they're all the same. They are the thing that they're all the same. It's like transform your world, transform your life. We are Dell. Yeah. <laughs> we are any enterprise, you know, work day. They all sound the same. And like maybe that works. I don't I don't know if it doesn't, but like I don't know. I just think I think it'd be a fun a more fun opportunity to like, why not create a campaign? for that moment and have it be a more unique thing and 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 put that twist on it. But I think I saw Workday do something very interesting with Mickelson where he was wearing a Workday shirt and they set up a Twitter account that was like dedicated to the shirt and they were tweeting throughout the tournament and luckily enough he won it all but they were like tweeting out while he was rocking the the Workday shirt so there could be that. But I think one piece that 
I don't even think anyone is thinking about or even talking about. And this is like some high level 0.5% level of wealth. The CEO has a booth at the actual tournament with other 0.5 percenters who are sitting around sponsoring the event. And guess what they're talking about? Multi-million billion dollar deals that they're probably closing. So they're like, hey, friend who happens to run this bank, come down to the tournament. We sponsored it. I want you there. Let's just chat and you know accept that deal that we were talking about. It's like the ultimate ABM play. It's like, who are our top 50 accounts? Yes, it's going to cost 10 million to sponsor this, but those are that's going to be you know 50 million in in contract renewals. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. And if you think about those companies who they are, that is probably what those average contract sizes are, you know. Invite all of their customers like or their customers that are important to them that they need to renew. Like I think that could be a play that they would leverage. It probably goes back to the one of the initial principles of marketing is like for any business, the first question I'd ask is like where where do your customers hang out? You know, where do you need to be seen to get in front of them? And in that super enterprise IT world, if you're not advertising on the PGA Tour, you're probably not a legitimate enough brand. Exactly. And if your CEO can't invite me, then I definitely can't do business with you because, hey, you're in a Honda and I'm driving this flight, this plane, the plane that is taking me to the golf tour. So I think there could be levels to it. I'm going to change direction on you. Um, what happened to Clubhouse? Are we still talking about it or is it still a thing or is it over? Good question. So I don't think it's over yet. I'm not going to shut the door on the coffin of Clubhouse and say it's a complete wrap. You had a chance and now you're gone. Goodbye. It's over. But I think the same thing that happened to Snapchat is happening to Clubhouse. I think the same thing that originally happened with Instagram and Facebook is happening again where the smart platforms and networks are copying what works. And when things are resonating, they're stealing it and they're embracing it and they're using it. The same thing that happened with TikTok. Now, this will definitely limit Clubhouse's ability to grow and own the audio drop-in space. But now that other brands have started to roll out their own version, I think what it's done is it's essentially said, all right, audio drop-in format is a thing. Every brand, every social media network anyways, is investing in it and they want to capitalize on some of that early traction that Clubhouse had. I'm not here to say that Clubhouse is dead yet. I still think like there's room for that opportunity and I think there's still some interesting people who are committed, but it's not going to be the next Facebook like, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the the ability for them to capture the market and own the market is gone. And they, they weren't able to build a close enough social network where people feel like their identity is a part of it. The lack of shareability isn't there. There's so many factors that make it challenging where it does feel more like a feature than a benefit. But hey, Snapchat made a good run with their eferral product and it still works. So is Clubhouse going to be the next Snapchat? I don't even think that, but I won't. I wouldn't say it's going to die. Snapchat's good now, isn't it? Like a great business now. Snapchat is doing well, like a multi-billion-dollar business. So, give me the honest answer to this, though. When was the last time you did a, what you were on Clubhouse? Like you, like somebody invited you to do something, or you did it? Three months. It's probably been three months. So, yeah, it's been a minute. It has been a while. I do think it's lost a lot of steam. Like there's no question that Clubhouse lost a lot of steam with the introduction of spaces. Um, you have a legit audience on Twitter. Like 
built in, whether you use on-demand audio or not is a different question. But like, where are you going to have more success? It's going to be on Twitter because you have all your fo- you have all your followers there. I don't need to build anything from scratch. So I'm going to lean more heavily on doing a spaces with Twitter. And Twitter just announced that they're going to even do like a paid version of spaces. So after you host three different spaces, if you have over a thousand followers, I believe Twitter will now give you the ability to invite people to your space where you're doing an audio drop-in kind of show and people will pay to get access to that session. Like that's a play that monetizes the creator, incentivizes the creator to want to do it. Clubhouse doesn't really have that at this point. And discovery on Clubhouse is challenging unless you have already been in it for a minute and have put in the time to build your your audience. What about you? Are you in on spaces? Are you in on Clubhouse? What's, uh, What's your bet? I love the idea of it. Even before we before I send you the Zencaster link today, I was thinking like, oh, it'd be fun. I wish we could also just broadcast this. Con- I wish we could have also just like broadcasted this live, but I didn't want to do a Zoom because I didn't want like random, you know, crap coming in the Zoom. Yeah. And so I think I think like in an app that I could record a podcast and let people come in and ask what would have been cool because it'd been like people could listen or not. If zero people show up to this, then we still record our podcast. But if 50 people did, cool experience for them. Maybe we get some questions. And so I really like that format. And I also think as a podcast host, I would love people... I would love to just like you and me, for example, go live and just kind of hang out and, and actually have people call in. I think that that would be cool. Like I think like talk radio days. And so I think I think there's a place for it. I just think that it's hard. Like you either have to be very early in the first and super innovative on one of those new platforms to, to build early, like to have a huge audience early. I just think that there's enough, there's an enough existing channels where you should, for most people should probably be spending their time building their core audience. Like should you be spending time on clubhouse if you don't have a strong email list? And if you don't have a strong presence on where your places, where your core audience is like Twitter and LinkedIn, I would say no, I think for someone like you, for example, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you and me probably in that same example, we're like, you know, we have some followers on Twitter, we have some followers on LinkedIn. It's it's additive, but it's not going to distract from from growing that core base. So LinkedIn rolls out their version of Clubhouse Spaces next week. What do you do? Oh, that's a thing? No, I'm just pretending. That would be dope. I'd have to get a new shirt that says like LinkedIn Clubhouse is dope. <laughs> so would you go all in? Would you go all in on it? I don't know because I always do this. <laughs> I, I'm like in the first two weeks of a new thing, and everyone's talking about it. I get FOMO, and I'm like, "Yeah, I got to be on it because I'm in marketing, and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be up on every platform." And then it kind of dies. It kind of dies down. I thought I would do that, like with LinkedIn Live, and it never really was that for me. I don't know. I, I would try it. It's the biggest audience that I have, and so I would be like silly to to not try it. I also just feel like I I like what I have today and I just want to keep feeding it more good content. I'm honestly just trying to like double down on existing channels and make them better as opposed to like, I don't think I need another new channel. If you were to drop one of the channels that you currently have, what would it be that you think you can't use it anymore at this point? Like you had to drop one. What what are you dropping? I would say like personally, like I have a DGMG as building DGMG as a brand. I have DGMG Instagram account and like that's just I love it, 
but that's, I have it because I love Instagram and I like to have, like, it looks nice, but it only has, you know, like 1300 followers. And like, part of me wishes that my LinkedIn looked like Instagram, but I think from a function standpoint, Twitter and LinkedIn are the ones that I couldn't live without. And I, I would probably kill off Instagram. But that's just because of the niche that I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on startups. I'm focusing on marketing. I'm focusing on you know B2B. I'll give you a perfect example. I went. I got this shirt from Trap Golf, and I went to go post it on Twitter. And I tried to find them to tag them on Twitter. They're not even on Twitter. Instagram is where they're at. And so, like in in a consumer product space, then then that's it for me. What what about you? What give me rank your platforms for me? So at the bottom, I'm going to say Facebook from a professional lens. Like I've got a lot of family and friends on there, so I'd keep it for that. But Facebook is is a, a cluttered, weird mess, I would say. Do you have like a, a Ross Simmons like page on Facebook? I do. That's even worse. So let's put that at the bottom bottom. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so the one you mentioned is like your personal my like personal account. That's way better than my brand account. So I have Ross Simmons the brand account on Facebook. That's at the bottom of the list. I'd kill that tomorrow. Is that just because like you created that page like 10 years ago and just haven't maintained it? Created it hoping that people would like me instead of adding me as a friend because I didn't want to clutter my personal world with the professional. It didn't happen. People see you at conferences. They don't like you. They want to add you as a friend because you're a human. So that entire idea got killed and it didn't happen. So now my personal account is a a cluttered mess. And then I would say Instagram. Then I would say LinkedIn. Then I would say Twitter. Twitter is the account that I would not let go of. It's uh, probably the the most important to my world, I would say. Where are you first? Is like, because obviously you have, you, you reuse a lot of content as you should be doing. I'm on Twitter first. I would say it's interesting. So I view Twitter as like where all my people are, like all of the people who I want to connect with, the the core audience, that persona, they're on my Twitter. And if something is fire on Twitter, I know it's going to resonate on LinkedIn. So it's a very quick, easy replication. But when it goes to LinkedIn, it's going to go more informed. It might be a carousel. It might be a different format, something like that. There's going to be two hashtags on it, that kind of thing. Instagram is an inspirational place. So it's more human, more personal, more content that resonates on the emotional side versus the like, let's talk about SQLs and MQLs. Like that stuff hasn't resonated on Insta. But I test that also on my personal accounts from a Twitter and LinkedIn and then see that over to Insta. But Insta rarely will see like the, the nitty gritty marketing stuff where I'm talking about SEO and things like that. It just doesn't, it doesn't hit as well. And then on Facebook, it's a, like I said, cluttered mess where it's a blend of work where I sometimes don't want to share the work because I've got friends and family there and they're like, what is this? They don't know what I'm talking about, but then I have professional folks on there as well. So it's a blend, but I would say Twitter is the hub. What about you? LinkedIn is the biggest, but it's second in I think I feel the same way about Twitter. Twitter is like the cheat code. It doesn't matter that it's not as big. I think Twitter is like the the access to the fire hose and whatever is happening right now in in the world and in business and whatever. And I think I feel similarly that whatever works on Twitter is going to work everywhere. It's not always the same if I post on LinkedIn. And what do you think about the Facebook group? Like, where does that fit in the mix? You didn't really mention that. Like, where's the Facebook group fit in the mix? Do you view that as a channel or is that just a thing? I do view it as a channel. I mean, now there's like, there's 2,600 people in it. And so I view it as a channel. I view it as I go there when 
Twitter and LinkedIn, my thoughts are very like spontaneous and kind of one-off and I'm just trying to throw some stuff out there. I might throw some stuff out there that becomes something else and then I might go write about it in depth in the Facebook group. And so I, t- I try to like... I try not to use the Facebook group as just a way. It shouldn't be a way of re because that people are paying for access to that community. And so I don't just want to post things that you might get from all my social media accounts. Now, there are some times that like I'm announcing something or I'm putting something out and I just want to post it all. But most often when I'm posting in the Facebook community, I'm sharing a video that's only going to be in there or I'm going deeper on something and expanding on something that I, that I had to say uh, on Twitter. Would you say you get value from the Facebook group for content that you should create as well? A million percent at like a, at a different level of like, I think the people that are in the Facebook group, it's almost like very bottom of the funnel. So that's like, if I'm trying to see generally if people are interested in something, Twitter is a very good like gut reaction, fast reaction. The Facebook group would be where it's like, hey, I'm thinking about developing this product or creating this course. That's where I'd get like the most, because it's, it's, you know, if you if you whittle down the relationship, those are not people who just anonymously follow me online. Those are people who said, I followed you online and I'm going to give you $10 a month to be part of this community. So those are paying customers. You could think of it that way. They're going to give the most real and, and, and genuine feedback. But I think Twitter gives me the ability to get like a more of a read. Okay. You know, speaking of Twitter, let's, let's get some audience participation in this. So Ross and I have been going back and forth. I'm looking to have some more, some friends on the podcast more regularly. So it's not just me. I don't just want to do CMO interviews. I want to talk about other stuff too. So tweet at Ross and I with feedback, comments, thoughts on this episode. And uh, we would, we would love to hear from you as a, as a marketer, as a person. Ross, I always appreciate you, man. No worries. I'm going to try to get this one out quickly because I want to get it out there and we'll, we'll go from there, all right? Sounds good. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on, Dave. And if anyone's listening, drop some fire emojis if you uh, found this to be fire. If you think it was cold and we could have done better, drop some ice if that's an emoji. I think it is. So yeah, we'll chat soon. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the DGMG Podcast. If you learned anything new from this episode or got one valuable piece of marketing knowledge, It'd make my day to leave a review. I like to look at them. I like to see what people are thinking and hear about. Or if you didn't like it, leave me some feedback. Otherwise, I will talk to you on the next episode. See ya.